Hi there, Larry here. I normally let Castor do the talking, but today I have to add this message. We are tackling the story of a Serac. His origins are dark and do require a small content warning. There are mentions of sexual assault and other sensitive topics in this episode. I will not dwell on them, nor will I glorify them, but I still felt that because they're mentioned, I would like to give this warning. Thank you. I, Aserak the Eternal, beckon you to your doom. Come, foolish ones, plunder my treasure, if you dare. Others have tried, all have failed. From your skin, tapestries shall be woven, and your bones will carpet my tomb. Only I am beyond death's reach. Only I know the secret to true immortality. The Epitaph of Aserac. Welcome, humble adventurers, to my realm of knowledge and mystery. Here, in my cursed library, are endless tomes and scrolls on the darkest and evilest foes in all of the realms, be they from Dungeons and Dragons, Pathfinder, the many worlds of darkness, or any realm in between. Welcome to the Dastardly Decimal System. I'm your caretaker of the corrupt, the librarian, Caster Kane. There are only a few names that can cause great horror across an entire realm. There are fewer still that can cause that same level of fear across an entire multiverse. When countless worlds shiver in fear and terror, and cats hiss at the very mention of your name, then you have done something very, very wrong. Take a seat and grab a cup, because the tea is ready. I have brewed a pot of Lich Brew Tea. It is a black tea with cranberry guts and enough caffeine to wake the dead. This seems fitting as we talk about a Serac, the Devourer. There are few other liches that are more feared than a Serac. He is a twisted wizard who takes pleasure in watching others suffer. He is known for building trapped-filled dungeons and filling them with powerful artifacts. As adventurers attempt to loot them, they painfully perish, and Aseric gleefully watches and revels in the sadistic pleasure. Like most liches, Aseric craves more power. What sets him apart, however, is he has no desire for godhood. Gods can die. He has seen it happen across several realms. And godhood comes with conflict and responsibility. Aseric does not wish to battle the gods. He simply wishes to outlast them. And while he does have a following of cultists that worship him as the devourer, Aseric cares little for them. Instead, he uses their lives as little more than test subjects in his sadistic games and experiments. In his Cambian form, Aseric was a tall, lanky man. He had brown, leathery skin and was often depicted with a pair of horns. He was seen in onyx black robes with crimson edging. He was a highly skilled wizard with a deadly arsenal of spells at his disposal and several powerful artifacts. 
like the Staff of the Forgotten Ones and the Sphere of Annihilation. time ago, in a tiny town in the Greyhawk lands, an ancient conjurer tried to summon a demon. His reasons, his desires, and even his name have been lost to history. Perhaps he wanted more arcane power and thought a demon was the ticket to unlocking those secrets. Perhaps he wanted to rule his town and thought the demon was to be his enforcer. Perhaps his motives were completely altruistic and he wanted to use one evil force to slay another. Regardless of why, one fact was undeniable. He did not have the power to control the demon he summoned. The demon was a Baylor named Tarnhem. His strength was far beyond that of the nameless wizard, and the Baylor instantly slew him. Tarnhem then unleashed chaos and suffering on the small village, slaughtering many of the men and forcibly taking many of the women. One woman by the name of Kekethrai got pregnant due to this assault, and gave birth to a half-human, half-demon child, a Cambian as they are known, and named that son Aserak. For a decade, Aserak was raised by his mother on the outskirts of town. She was a woman he cared for deeply. Kekethrai did her best to teach the child right from wrong, hoping that her love and affection would override his demonic blood. But the life of a Cambian is not an easy one, even the human passing Cambians are often met with hate and distrust due to their lineage. If a drought occurs, they blame the half-demon. If crops die, they blame the half-demon. When fear or anger takes hold of a town, they blame the half-demon. When Aserak was only 10 years old, a torch-wielding mob came for him and killed his mother. They strung the child up and readied him for a public execution. Aserak's life was saved when a lich and his army invaded the town. That lich was Vecna, the Whispered One, and he had chosen that boy as his new apprentice. Any goodness in Aserak died the same day his mother did. Any compassion he once held for life burned away at the end of a torch. Even as a ten-year-old, Aserak loathed life. The living were cruel and merciless. More importantly, they were weak. When Vecna's own advisors suggested that he kill the Cambian boy, Vecna slew them instead. Aserak saw this power and longed for it himself. On the day that Kekethrai died, Aserak was weak and helpless. He could not protect his own mother, and despite being only a ten-year-old child, he still blamed himself. He swore that he would never be helpless again. Aserak would obtain great power, regardless of who he had to kill or betray.
Aserak grew up under the tutelage of Vecna. From the Lich's teachings, he became a powerful wizard, one highly skilled in all arcane schools, with a sinister enjoyment of necromancy and evocation. He mimicked his master in cruelty as well as cunning. When Vecna swore temporary allegiance to the demon prince Orcus, so too did Aserak. When Vecna marched alongside his armies, so too did Aserak. And when Vecna slaughtered the innocent, so too did Aserak. Vecna and his armies marched across Oerth, conquering some kingdoms and laying siege to others. Vecna had built bases and layers all across the land, but of all the places that Vecna called home, there was only one that Aserak had not visited, the Rotted Tower. This was an obsidian tower that rose from the bottom of the black waters of the near Div to stretch far above its surface. It was in that tower that Vecna held his deepest and darkest secrets, and it was there that Aserak needed entry. In the kingdom of Flan lay the city of Fleeth. This was the one-time home to Vecna and his mother. A thousand years after he was expelled, Vecna's armies marched on his former home. He expected little in the way of resistance, but surprisingly, he was met by a legion of well-armed and well-prepared clerics and paladin, each loyal to the gods Pelar or Foltis. The legion repelled Vecna's army and blasted the mighty lich over and over with strong holy smites and powerful radiant energy. Vecna was nearly destroyed, body and soul, but was saved at the last minute. Aserak swooped in and unleashed dark, demonic magic that slaughtered the shocked and unaware holy men. Aserak grabbed his master and swiftly teleported him away to safety. The invasion of Fleeth had failed, but it would not be Vecna's only attempt. With his loyalty proven, Vecna finally granted his apprentice access to the Rotted Tower. It was from there they watched a young lieutenant lead the successful second attack on Fleet. After his brutal and bloody victory, the lieutenant would forever be known as Cass, the Bloody Handed. People speak of how fortuitous it was for Aserak that such a failure occurred, and how it granted the apprentice the chance to prove himself and how to finally get what he so desired. But was it really? Was it all just luck? A Vistani dancer by the name of Mendora Zerovan speaks how the events were not accidental or by chance. Instead, she said they were all a carefully plotted scheme for betrayal. Like most wizards, Aserak was a paranoid soul and kept his intentions close to his chest. This made finding the exact details difficult. However, through rumors, research, 
and deductive reasoning, I have pieced together the fractured parts into a hypothesis of a Serac's plan. As the wizard grew older, he became a man of many plots and schemes. He inserted himself into the cult of Orcus and used them to build a vast subterranean cavern. He built a network of wizards and crafters. He sought out tiefling and cambian villages and lived among them, learning new demonic spells from their populace. He started searching for old magic that could elongate his life and open the multiverse to him. But the final details he needed were locked away in the rotten tower, somewhere he was not permitted to go. Studies like Acerax tend to catch the holier-than-thou gaze from prying eyes. So when word got out of the dark magic that Acerax was researching, a force of good came looking for him. His name was Sir Penteval. He was a golden half-dragon paladin who served the god Pelor. He was a young warrior, new to Pelor's order. Repeatedly, he would track down the wizard and the two would battle, often forcing Aserak to retreat and flee. Aserak never doubted his ability to slay the paladin, but he was never sure that if he did, that he would survive the battle himself. These reoccurring battles, however, planted the seeds of a new idea deep into the wizard's scheming brain. He needed access to Vecna's tower, but permission was only granted to Vecna's most loyal. So in order to gain entrance, he needed to manufacture an event that proved his loyalty. And to do that, Aserak needed four things. He needed Vecna emotionally weak. He needed Vecna physically weak. He needed Vecna mentally distracted. And he needed an exit before his inevitable doom. The first was easy. Vecna's battle plans would eventually take him to the city of Fleeth. This was Vecna's home city, the place where his mother was burned at the stake for witchcraft. This was an event so painful that Vecna swore revenge on the large city. Regardless of how powerful you've gotten, or how much you have changed, stepping back into the location of your traumatic past weakens everyone's mind. The second was more difficult. Vecna was near immortal and almost indestructible. He was a paranoid wizard who took arcane precautions with his well-being. However, Aserak had gained experience with the followers of Pelor. He knew how strong they were, and he knew what spells and abilities they had in their arsenal. Aserak found the followers of Pelor, and he told them Vecna's plans. He armed the clerics and the paladins with the knowledge and spells they needed to slay his master. The third aspect required some luck. Aserak knew that if the first invasion failed, Vecna would be desperate to try again. 
but a loss powerful enough to weaken Vecna would be powerful enough to rid most of his army's commanders. This meant Vecna would need a new commander to lead the next invasion, and someone who he could put all of his attentions towards. Aserak searched the ranks and found a suitable candidate. Then, he introduced to his master a lieutenant that would be eventually known as Cass, the Bloody Handed. This simply left the matter of an exit. Aserak knew of Vecna's rage. He knew the Lich would brutally slay him when he found out of Aserak's theft and betrayal. What the wizard needed was an advance warning of Vecna's discovery. For that, he turned to the Vistani. He found a seer and made himself a deal. What the details were are unknown. Perhaps the Vistani wanted a great artifact, or a wagon filled with gold. Or perhaps they just wanted a chance to escape from Vecna's army. But in exchange, they were to warn Aserak of Vecna's discovery, so he could safely flee. The plan went off perfectly. Aserak was granted access to the Riding Tower. Vecna became enthralled with a young warrior named Cass and the wizard spent years stealing the Lich's darkest and most powerful secrets until the fateful day arrived. One day, the seer sent word to Aserak, and the wizard fled, forever out of the reach of his former master. On the day that his mother died, Aserak was helpless and weak. He swore that he would never be helpless again. Aserak would obtain great power, regardless of who he had to kill, or who he had to betray. If this unnamed conjurer could peer into the future and glimpse as to what the future held, he would inevitably change his course of actions. Not only would he want to save his own life, but he would also want to prevent the horrors that he would unknowingly unleash upon not only his world, but the countless others that existed. It seems like this pot of tea has run dry, but we are far from done with the story of a Serac. Please, Stand up and stretch your legs while I brew another pot, because once I'm done, we dive into a Sarek's most infamous of creations. We look at the Tomb of Horrors. This has been the Dastardly Decimal System, and once again, I am your librarian, Caster Kane. Just a quick note. Because this topic requires two pots of tea, the next episode will be out in just a few weeks, much earlier than our normal schedule. Enjoy! The Dastardly Decimal System can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at DD System Podcast. That's Delta Delta System Podcast. Drop us a message and say hi. Vega always loves the attention. This podcast was produced by Midnight Reading Audio, a division of Midnight Reading Publishing. The voice of Caster Kane is Larry Gent. Hi.
The voice of Vega the Cat was provided by my cats, Vash and Zid. The music was Tenebroas Brother Carnival Prelude by Kevin McLeod in Competech.com, licensed under the Creative Commons. Thank you, and have a wonderful evening.